The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamualaikum, everyone, and welcome to Sister Speak. Today, you're joined with me, Lamisa, me, Fadine, me, Bedria. And me, Mariam. Yeah, so I was going to introduce our guest, Badria, today. <laughs> um, so yeah, today we're joined by a very special guest, her name's Badria Islam. She's from MAR. So MAR is a grassroots organisation which is um, supporting, I guess, healthcare access in resource-poor settings for pregnant women. Um, and Badria is a fundraising officer there and a second-year medical student at Imperial College London. So thank you very much for joining us for today's show. Um, so Bridget is going to help us discuss today's main topic, which is surrounding disparities in healthcare and sustainable ways that we might be able to um, bridge those gaps. Um, but before we get into everything, for people who may be listening to our show for the first time, Mariam, do you want to let everyone know what our show is about? Uh, absolutely. So just a warm welcome to Badria. Um, <laughs> so our, our show is a platform for Muslim girls to voice their own opinions on current events and issues and even form discussions on general topics such as religion, culture, politics and identity. Please note that all opinions and views are our own and respect all other opposing views. Yeah. And if they do want to get in contact with any of the topics that we discussed today um, or just want to say their thoughts for the week when we have that section, um, Farine, where can they get in contact with us? You can call us on 01582481822 or you can WhatsApp us on 0779481822. We're also live on Facebook at InspireFM Luton and we are, you can also let us know your thoughts at Instagram at uh, Sisterspeak. Yeah, exactly. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Please do get in contact. Um, and yeah, I guess that moves us on to the first segment of the show. So this is called Thought for the Week, where we just, um, as the name suggests, say a thought from the week. <laughs> so we're going to go with Marion first. Oh, she's going to look at me. <laughs> I'm hosting today. And she, it's like like her <laughs> she usually thinks I think I know what So I think my thought of the week is about... Um, Compounding Habits. I know I talk about Atomic Habits a lot. Atomic Habits. (laughs) But it's a great book. Just by James Clear for anyone that does want to read it. And I was just thinking about the concept of trying to do um, small things consistently. So the concept of doing something like, for example, um, I don't know, sleeping early, for example. If you sleep five minutes earlier than you usually do and you do that every single day, that's going to compound to a good habit throughout the year. So... I feel like this is something that I really want to include, especially in the lead up to Ramadan and how I want to incorporate small little habits that will help me sustain a good um, routine after Ramadan as well. So that's kind of my thought of the week. That's a great piece of advice for all of us. I feel like a lot of people get scared to almost start making new habits because it seems like such a big thing to do. Um, But your little trick of compounding habits, doing little things every single day will will help it go easier. Fareen, do you want to go next? Yeah, wait, I'm just going to talk about Mariam's one because like I said last time, you know how small steps, like they go a long way Mm -hmm. and being consistent with your habits is really important. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that, Mariam. My thought of the week is a bit about patience. I think that sometimes we're so um, eager to do stuff and we kind of don't wait. This, I feel like, I don't know if it's a skill. It's just a trait that's really important to have. You need to have patience everywhere when you're driving, when you go to a <laughs> shop, <for example. laughs> when you go, I don't drive, but you know, I just mm. see my parents like yelling at each other because of road rage <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> Even when you go to a shop and I don't know, the cashier doesn't speak your language, you just have to be, have a patience and you know, understand that we're all like human. Mm. 
very good very good lessons um, thank you, thank you. <laughs> do you want me to go first so then we can come to you for Julia? yeah go on okay so my thought for the week this week is about gratitude mm. i feel like if we have gratitude for everything that we have been given um it helps put things into perspective but i think also brings back motivation um, and renews intentions as well i feel like sometimes when you're doing something for a very long time it can get easy to forget why you started that thing in the first place um, and sometimes the fun gets sucked out of that thing as well. So if you think about where you're at and perhaps where you were five or six years ago or 10 years ago, um, and maybe what that person would have wanted back then, it kind of helps you to be a bit more grateful for what you have in the moment um, and kind of renew that intention, um, which can help keep you going in the long run. So that's my thought for the week. Mm-hmm. Have a bit of gratitude if you can. <laughs> I feel like from a religious perspective as well that we believe that if you're grateful, Allah gives you more. Definitely. And especially in recent circumstances that we've seen what's happening in Syria and Turkey, it's just really heartbreaking. Mm. Um, and I think we should be really grateful that we are not amongst all of that. Mm. Um, and I feel like we've been given so many privileges and these people, they perhaps had the same privileges as us, mm. but now it's been all wiped away. So it really does bring it back home to think about, okay, I think we should be more specific in our gratitude. So in terms of, you know, what we have today, what we have in this present time. Mm. And because we're often always thinking about, okay, what's next and what I want more. Cause, because because society is in a way that we've kind of succumbed to our desires and it's nothing is very satis- nothing is satisfactory. So I feel like it's really important to be gratitude, to have gra- gratitude for even the smallest things. Mm. Like I, my thought of the week is compounding. When you're gratitude for small things, it's just going to create a habit of being gratitude in a fulfilling way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's true because, you know, the more you have great gratefulness for everything that you have, things will become more satisfactory. Whereas, like you said, the type of society we live in today, a lot of things, even though you chase them, once you have them, they're not as satisfactory mm-hmm. as you thought they would be. Um, so, yeah, it's a hard thing to develop, though. So Definitely. it takes mm-hmm. time. But, yeah, if we can try, then it's good. Okay, Vajria, what's your thought for the week? <laughs> um, I guess mine like sort of follows on from what Lamisa was saying about gratitude. Um, so something that I wanted to add to that was also just sort of making things easier for other people and mm. um, doing like small acts of kindness. Um, I've got like a little story, mm. um, but um, we were raising money for Ma this week and I collected these Krispy Kreme donuts. So I was carrying like 10 dozens for Victoria Station um, during rush hour. So it was like crazy, but mm. I had to collect a few things from WH Smith as well. Um, and when I went there, it was quite empty and there was just like one woman on the shop floor. So it was about like 9 a.m. And she was such a cute woman. Like I was just going to her and I was like, oh yeah, like, can I just buy these? And she was like, oh, you've got a lot of donuts there. Like, what are these for? <laughs> so I was like telling her about um, how we're raising money and everything and we're taking, and I'm taking it back to university. And she was like, oh, like, do you go to Imperial? Cause it's like the closest yeah. one there. And I was like, yeah, I do. And she was telling me about how her son went. Mm-hmm. And we were having like this whole discussion about how, so her son did like civil engineering. Mm-hmm. And after a couple years, he dropped out because it just got really hard for him. And she was saying how all of her friends were saying, you must be so disappointed and she was like no because he dropped out for himself Mm. and he did that because that's what makes him the happiest Mm. alive and I feel like we always get like a lot of parents get caught up in 
they want their son to do this, they want their daughter to do this, um, without realising that they're compromising their children's happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my parents didn't want me to be a doctor, they wanted me to sort of do teaching. But then I had an open conversation about um, about sort of doing medicine and everything, and they were really supportive, like, alhamdulillah, afterwards. Um, and it's really sad when parents aren't like that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we were having this whole discussion, and she was really open-minded. So she had, um, I think she was European, because she had, like, quite a thick accent. Um, but even then, like, whenever she was trying to speak and get her words across, I was like, oh, bless her. Mm. Um, and then she was like, so after I went, she was saying how she was really, like, craving a donut. And I was like, oh, sure, like, take one. She was like, no, 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 like, keep it for your fundraising. And then I was like, you know what, this doesn't sit right with me. So then I went back to Krispy Kremes and I bought her, like, a little donut. It was Valentine's Day as well, so they had, like, the cute pink ones. So I wrote her, like, a little message and everything. And I was like, me taking those two extra minutes to get her a donut and sort of write the message would make her entire day. Mm. And that was, like, my thought process behind it. Like, it's not sort of taking away from me in that day. So um, I went back, I gave her the donut and everything, and she was, like, nearly in tears. She gave me a hug and everything. She was like, oh, my God, like, you made my day. I'm, so, I'm like, looking forward Aww, to having this. That's so cute. And, like, it literally fills you with so much joy when you do something for other people. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's, like, my thought of that the week. So yeah, that is so That is so nice. That's the most heartwarming story we've had <laughs> on this show. Oh, and she's so right. Like, two minutes out of your day to will really make someone else's day. Mm. Even, like, giving up a seat on the tube. I feel like I've talked yeah. about this so many times, but when someone... I remember one day I came in on the tube. I had so many bags because I was coming from Luton. And this man, he got up and he gave me his seat straight away. And I was just like, that is the nicest thing anyone could ever do. And I'm like, I, you don't have to do that. You could, you very much own that seat. You know, you sat there, it's yours. But those like small acts of kindness go a really long way in someone's day. So yeah, thank I feel you, like for you that. Forget, I feel like you forget when you do these small acts. Like next year, you're not gonna really remember yeah. that. Yeah. But for that person, it's very something that they will remember yeah. for a lifetime. So doing acts of service is really, really important, and that's why we're gonna talk about my today. Yeah. Um, I think going on the point as well about um the person that you're speaking to and how she stuck up for her son, son. is really, really important. And I think. I can understand why parents, especially from a minority perspective, mm-hmm. why they want their children to go to certain careers is because it's a sense of stability. Yeah. And they didn't have that sense of stability or they didn't have that sense of aspiration because they came from certain countries and they had to survive. So I do see that um, perspective. However, I think like you did, you had an open conversation with your parents. You told them that you want, you, you want to commit for the, uh, to this, you have a purpose, and this is where you see yourself. I think that's where... We kind of fall short. We don't have that open discussion. Um, and that's what they want to see. They want to see where you're, what you're envisaging. So, yeah. I think also this idea of it's not a disappointment because of the fact that he's going for his own happiness, mm. especially in medicine as well. I feel like we're in a career path where you kind of have to strive for the best every single time. And it's almost like that's expected of you. Mm. And I think what I'm coming to terms with now is I don't have to be the best. And frankly, if there's something that I don't want to do, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to stop. It's okay to look at other things and other career options. Um, life doesn't have to be one big race. You can chop and change and time is like continuously going. So it's not something like we have to stick to one path and make all these decisions early on and go down it. You know, if you decide to drop out of university because you have other things that make you more happy, that's completely your choice. And I feel like society needs to kind of change for the better in that way. We need to accept a bit more fluidity 
um, mm. in people's life because life is like that. Things change. So yeah. Yeah. Forget the whole. What would they say? What would they say? Just concentrate on yourself and what's good for you and your goals. Definitely. Yeah, I remember like someone saying comparison is a thief of joy. Mm-hmm. And it's so true because especially in med school when it's so competitive, you're always comparing yourself and your studying habits to everyone else. Yeah. And it's like sometimes it's okay to be different. Mm-hmm. Like throughout first year, I was constantly thinking this person is doing an Anki deck, this person is doing this. Maybe I should do that as well, mm-hmm. but none of those worked for me. So yeah. it's really important like when you take a step back and just think what works for you yeah. and like what you should do. If notes have worked for you all this time, <laughs> you can make notes, it's fine. I feel like I tried to stop making notes last year because everyone said it's not effective, yeah. but it's effective for me. Yeah, same. So I've started making them again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, okay. I guess that brings us to the end of our thoughts for this week. Thank you all. Um, so now we're going to move on to our hot topics, but instead of hot topics, we're going to do the freshly grounded cards because I feel like they open up good discussion. Um, so yeah, and we can get to know Badri a bit more as well. <laughs> um, okay, so first question we're going to go for is, hmm, which one should we go for? What do you know now about yourself that you didn't know when you were younger? Well, I think that's a good question. It's it's so funny because like within Ma, everyone calls me like the baby. Okay. So it's like, oh, when you were younger, that's like, when you were younger, that's like <laughs> when you were a baby. Um, what do I know about myself now that mm-hmm. I didn't when I was younger? I think for me, it's how much I like doing lots of different things. Mm-hmm. So whenever someone sort of sees my schedule, they have a heart attack and they're like, there's no way you have 24 hours in your day. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's like, I'm there's people that can't relax. Like I constantly need to be doing something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I am relaxing, it's a wasted opportunity. And I can I can see how toxic that mindset can be. Alhamdulillah, like up until now, I've managed to sort of sustain it. But when I was younger... Um, I always used to look for the easy way out. Mm. So it's like, okay, I can sort of do the bare minimum and get through. But now it's sort of just taking a step back and thinking, why should I do the bare minimum? And even when it comes to like university, um, a lot of like older years have said, if you graduate with just a degree, you've done university wrong. And I feel like I took that very literally. And I was like, okay, you know what? Like any opportunity that comes my way, I'm yeah. definitely going to take it. Yeah. Um, but Alhamdulillah, I feel like it's made me the sort of person that I am now. Yeah. Um, and yes, I think like that's probably the one thing that I've learned about myself that I like being really busy. Yeah. Um and it's okay to sort of relax in different ways than okay. like other people. I like that. Especially <laughs> in the first few years of university, you want to try everything so mm. that then you know what you like and you don't like. And actually you can look back and you can be like, yeah, uni was good. I tried loads <laughs> of other things. That's good. Um what about you, Mariam? Uh I think when I was younger, I had a lot of um I lacked a lot of confidence. So I think it would be potential. Like I didn't know I had potential until mm-hmm. I went to university and I tried so many things and I feel like even radio has elevated my confidence to to the nth degree really. Um and I also really enjoy advocacy and representation, so that's kind of my career trajectory that I took. Um and I really became passionate about widening participation. So when you mentioned mm-hmm. about doing the program at King's yeah. I was just like oh, really good. <laughs> um, and I think that's something for me specifically I like to be a facilitator so I didn't know that when I was young I really liked to be in leadership roles even though I had very low self-esteem for some reason now I really like to be in roles where I'm facilitating change yeah. so I think that for me is something that I've learned I'm kind of still discovering as well what I'm interested, interested in um, but I feel like now I've come to a point where I'm okay with the fact that I will evolve and I can embrace different kind of routes wow. very nice 
I think I it's the, like a mix of both of you. So when I was younger, I think I didn't think that I was capable of doing the stuff that I am doing now, and that's because I lack I lacked um, confidence. Like when so I wouldn't think when I was I don't know like in year seven that I would be on radio that I would have you know because I I always wanted to speak my mind when I was like in high school or something, but I never really did it mm-hmm. because I like I lack um, confidence like Mariam. So yeah, just a mix of both. I think I didn't know that I would end up with a career in science. <laughs> I very much thought I would be more along the humanities route. Oh, um, really? Yeah. That's I always saw you as a science person. I've yeah, you wouldn't see me as a science person. No, I do. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, yikes. What does that mean? Anyway. Yeah, no, I don't think I ever would have pinned myself to have a career along this side. Um, I was always more interested in like humanities and stuff, but I'm grateful for it. I'm happy for it, and obviously I chose this. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we tend to think in binaries. If you're yeah, interested in yeah. medicine, you cancel your radio show. You exactly. still can have other interests, and exactly. I think that's something that curriculums don't teach you. Yeah. I think yeah. you really need to be able to think about how you can expand your opportunities. You it's can that have flexibility more than, again, isn't it? Yeah, they you can have more than one that. interest, and that's completely fine. You yeah. don't necessarily need to do a have an interest that's related to your degree. Yeah. It's completely fine to be a you know thinking about other things and I feel like that actually makes you learn more Mm. Um, so that's something that I'm really passionate about especially because I was a widening access officer I used to always try to tell students that discover yourself in different areas you don't necessarily have to have one idea of thought yeah, I think it also makes you like a more interesting person as well. For sure. Um, I know that when I was applying for medicine, I was so scared that like going to Imperial is just going to be a university of nerds. And like, it's just going to be because like, it's a science and STEM university. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, like everybody's going to be so boring. Um, So I was like very like set on UCL. And only like the lot, like in the last minute, I was like, you know what, like, even if I just compare my friendship group, we're all like into STEM, but we have our own interest and in everything. Um, and now, alhamdulillah, like I feel like it was definitely one of the best decisions that I made. And you meet so many new people, like even though you guys have the same passion and you're going into the same sort of career almost, you meet people from like completely different walks of life. So many okay. different people that have like crazy interests mm. um, and everything. Okay, so on the flip side of that, um, let's go with this one. Finish the sentence. When I'm double my age, I would like to be... A lawyer. A lawyer. Very nice. (laughs) So she's got a career goal in plan. Does anyone else have anything different? I'm just going to say content. I really want to be content Mm. with whatever, wherever I am in in my life. And when I'm older, I just want to be content and with what I have. And I want to be content with the decisions I've made or even the lack of decisions I made. I want to be content that this is what Allah decreed for me and I just did my best. I think I agree with you, man. I think that's the only thing we can really wish for. Yeah. I had to do like the maths in my head and think, how old would I be? Please don't. Forties, fifties. I think I agree with you, Mariam, as well. Um, but one thing that I also want to do is have made an impact. Because um, I feel like, I mean, I would be about 40. Um, so I would have hopefully had made an impact through med school, through sort of starting my years as a doctor and stuff. Inshallah. Yeah, I Inshallah. think I, I, I'm going to steal hers now. <laughs> Okay, all right. And then kind of a more easygoing one. When was the last time you laughed so hard that your stomach hurt? When was the last time? <laughs> Come on, guys. Are we are we not having fun? I don't know. <laughs> well, um, I can't remember. It's kind of hard. I feel like actually we have so many moments where we yeah. laugh a lot that it's difficult to pick one, right? I think like the times when you laugh the hardest is jokes that only like they're only funny in the moment yeah because like I remember I think maybe it was Monday um 
but we have like these study rooms in uni and you never get work done in those study rooms it's literally <laughs> like you, you say you're going to get work done yeah. but like people come in and you just like have a chat and everything um, so like me and my friends like we just laugh about the funniest things and it's you know like when your friends um, when you're friends with someone and you're on the same wavelength as them mm-hmm. so they haven't even made they haven't even made the joke yet but you know what joke they're going yeah. to make yeah. so we just laugh before the joke has even been said and everybody else is just so confused like what the hell why are these two girls just laughing um I can't remember for the life of me what was so funny, but yeah. I was laughing so hard that like my abs were hurting <laughs> and I had to like stand up and everything. Yeah. But yeah. She has abs, girls. <laughs> <laughs> my non existent uh, abs are hurting. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. I feel like it's those impromptu moments in every day where you just end up laughing super hard. Um, okay. I guess that brings us to the end of um, our hot topic slash freshly grounded, grounded game. Um, we're going to move on to the main topic now. So the main topic is about disparities in healthcare. We're going to try and cover it from a few different um, aspects. I guess the first thing that I want to ask you guys is that health is considered a human right um, in loads of different kind of um, conventions and charters. For example, the WHO constitution says um, the highest attainable standard of health is a fundamental right of every human being. It's in the EU Charter of Human Rights as well. I just want to ask you guys, if health really is a human right, why is the access to health so varied across the world? Um, yeah. Should we start off with our guest? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was thinking about this um, a lot, like even when I went Bangladesh and I think there's a lot of different reasons. Mm. Um, so it's really hard to just put your finger on one. Of course. Yeah. Um, but one of the main things, I think, is the lack of education. Mm. Um, so even in, if we, I mean, I can use Bangladesh as an example, but even in like the remote villages and stuff, a lot of the time, the education that, um, a lot of the time, the education that we get um, from like a young age here in the UK about like healthy living, lifestyle, um, switching from like um, white bread to brown bread, etc. You don't sort of get that in Bangladesh. Um, so all of those sort of conditions, they're just there. Like nobody knows that there's an issue with it. Nobody knows what you should sort of do. Um, and as a result, nobody ever solves like those underlying conditions for a long time. And then as a result, because there's no sort of like education and there's like a lack of like infrastructure and stuff as well, it makes it harder for hospitals to be established so close to like where people live. Mm-hmm. And then then it's that vicious cycle where without education, you don't have like you don't have the right sort of like finances and everything to sort of fund to go to like those hospitals. So I feel like in that sense, education is like the core. And I feel like it's one of the reasons why. Um, but it's not their fault. Like, it's not their fault that they don't have, like, a proper education system in place. They don't have, like, access to, like, the hospitals and stuff. Instead, it's, like, um, maybe, like, the governments and everything sort of focusing on the richer areas and trying to develop them more mm. without realising that on the outskirts, those people also need help. And instead, like, they need the most help. Mm. I even remember, like, when applying for medicine, one thing that you learn about is, like, postcode lottery. Mm. Um, and essentially it's the people that need the most um help are Mm. the ones that have the least access to it um and i think there was like a study in manchester where greater manchester had like so many different like tertiary centers for cancer um but then even if you go like um a couple roads down to like trafford um people there who have like lower income and everything Mm. they don't have access to those centers Mm. so i guess it's not only seen in third world countries but also like on a lower level it's sort of seen in the uk 
too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just uh, go ahead. No, just saying that I think it's completely manifested in the UK. You can see those health inequalities, um, especially in terms of access to health. And I think whilst education is extremely important and especially it's applicable to third world countries, I think it's about wealth and poverty. And that's something that you can see within the UK. If you live in a remote area and you only have one GP and you have one hospital and you live very far, you will have need that money to go to, you need money to go on public transport firstly. You'll have to rely on public transport and it's more likely that you'll miss that appointment and so therefore it's a vicious cycle because you're not going to get access to that healthcare. And if you, are, if you, if you have a job, then you're going to have to take time off and um, often people are on zero-hour contracts yeah. so they, they don't have access to you know, a, a sustainable amount of um, wealth. More often than not, they don't have disposable income and so therefore if they're not well they're not going to be able to have a good uh, quality of life and they're not going to be able to create or generate wealth so i feel like the inequalities really do come from resources and i think beyond that you can even think of uh, in terms of politics this is something that you can see within the uk as well what mm. are the priorities um i feel like often the nhs is deprioritized if you think about you see a lot in the news how s- certain pots of money is suddenly appearing for a certain campaigns or certain pe- some to certain groups but then when it comes to the NHS or if it comes to to certain groups there isn't enough there's mm. all, there's all, there's a cost of living crisis there's just crises upon yeah. crises and I think that is about priorities a sense of priorities and whoever's in authority I think it's interesting because we talk about finances and funding um, but then we see like developed developed countries for example the US as well have huge issues with access to healthcare as well despite you know being one of the richest countries in the world um I feel like it's interesting it's a balance of what everything of what you guys have said it's a lack of funding it's a lack of priority it's um also a lack of education as well mm-hmm. um and it's a shame because I feel like actually in areas if we talk about developing countries frankly I feel like there's not as much drive mm. to improve those areas Mm. um i think that a lot of a lot of these countries and a lot of organizations intergovernmental organizations large-scale organizations spend in my opinion a lot of time faffing that this is the easiest way i can put it i feel like they focus a lot of time on various conventions and meetings and things like that but no tangible impact or change is seen um and I feel like, you know, we always, for example, the MDGs and the SDGs, these were set out. These were goals that they wanted to attain and we never actually end up attaining them. And I feel like we start off with the mindset that we know we're never going to attain them. And that's why they're never attained. Um, yeah, it is a it is a right. It is every person's human right. But unfortunately, I feel like, you know, corrupt practices in the world has unfortunately led it to this state. But yeah, this is the end of the first half of our show. Thank you all very much for listening. And inshallah, we'll see you in the second half where we'll continue discussing this topic. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamualaikum everyone and uh, welcome back to Sisters Speak. Again, you're joined here with me, Lamisa. We've got Fareen and Mariam in the studio as well and we're joined by our special guest, Badria. Um, so before the show, we were talking, we just started our main topic basically talking about disparities in healthcare. We discussed the right uh, to health and the fact that it's actually such a multifactorial issue. There's so many things that uh, unfortunately prevent people from um, having access to healthcare around the world and it is such a big problem. Um, 
Do we think that universal, like tools like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights actually help to address the issue? And is there more that can be done by intergovernmental organisations and governments to improve access? What do you think? Oh, do you want me to answer? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I feel like there are uh, human rights organisations out there. I think the declaration was there for a reason and the UN Assembly coined that in 1948, if I'm correct. Um, under the Charter 55. 46. 46? <laughs> yeah. 46, under Charter 55. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think that was therefore of the purpose to, to protect people's human rights. But I do think that organisations, for example, Amnesty International, it often is attributed to uh, advocacy for people's rights in terms of, you know, um, you know, in terms of the political spectrum. And I think that when it comes to healthcare, I don't, I can't think of, a organisation that specifically caters to human rights in terms of healthcare. So, unless anyone else, WHO, WHO, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but I just feel like in terms of the ground level. So, you know, with Amnesty Internationals, if there, a country is breaking, for example, if they're having a war, a war, if it's a war-torn country and they're breaking um, war, war, is it war laws? I don't know what it's called. What do you mean? So if there's if a country breaks these certain laws, then I forgot the name. But anyways, um, yeah. So if if a, a, for example, when it comes to Palestine, uh, Israel, quote unquote, um, if uh, if if uh, if some of the rules are broken in terms of like you're not allowed to bomb schools and hospitals, then Amnesty International will come and make a report, and then that's supposed to be influencing uh, the uh, the the UN mm-hmm. in terms of how they're going to take a step forward. So I feel like. And that you see that quite, you see that organisation should be quite robust. But in terms of who you did see that through COVID and the recommendations they made, um, but I do feel like these organisations, whilst they're proactive in terms of trying to create this impact, I don't think it's transcendent as much as it should do in mm-hmm. terms of political change. I agree. I feel like there's a lot of bureaucracy, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that prevent um, a lot of the good work that's happening from progressing any further. I feel like in years that have happened, so we're in 2023. I feel like by now people really should have at least basic access to healthcare all around the world. If we go to resource poor settings like you were talking about Bangladesh earlier, certain areas of Bangladesh, certain areas of Africa, um, even South America, we go there and it's almost like you've gone back in time because of the fact that they have such little in terms of healthcare, in terms of other resources as well. It shouldn't be the case, frankly. Um, especially with the amount of money that goes into funding these organisations and the amount of money that they have. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot more can be done in terms of doing bottom-up projects, actually going to the ground, actually um, thinking about long-term solutions and short-term solutions. So I know we'll talk about more later on, but um, in terms of educating public, like Badria said, it's so important to ensure sustainability of the projects that you're doing. Because education is one thing that changes attitudes and then that lasts for generations on end. And that is what truly drives development. Whereas if you're just chucking money at various different organisations and expecting things to change, it's never going to change. That's my opinion anyway. Um, But yeah, Badria Farim, what do you think? Do you think that intergovernmental organisations could do more? Yeah, I mean, I feel like sort of just having those policies and everything in place isn't enough because you can sort of say all of those things but not sort of chase up on them Mm -hmm. so even when it comes to like the access to healthcare and everything I feel like it's easier said than done um and even when you sort of see it on the ground like and there's nobody sort of chasing it up on the ground you can't ever sort of truly implement it Mm -hmm. so I feel like building that infrastructure is really important um 
and sort of having more like rigorous policies and stuff in place mm. um like even in bangladesh and like private hospitals and stuff they try to sort of do more c-sections because it's more profitable um but there's no there's no sort of like stopping it in, yeah yeah so you mean like auditing teams checking teams mm. just to make sure that everything's being done properly yeah and i feel like that's the thing with the bangladeshi healthcare healthcare system as well because i did a bit of research on it myself um and i think the thing with them is they're very fragmented um mm. they have loads of different departments which don't necessarily talk to each other yeah. um and looking at the research there weren't as many regulatory bodies to kind of make sure that everyone was doing their job as they were meant to do yeah. Um, and perhaps that's one of the reasons why it's not working as well as it should, um, which is a shame. I think also, yeah. in t- oh, sorry, go on, no, it's okay, you go. Um, in terms of data as well, so um, just because we had a show with Muslim Census as well, so it kind of really opened my eyes, um, especially in terms of our community, coming from a minority community, I don't think there's enough data surrounding the issues that we face in terms of the inequalities that we face in the UK, in the, mm. that we face in the UK mm. for us to be able to enact change because policies are informed by data and so if you don't have the data that is reflective of our community then it's very difficult to um, advocate for our needs so I think data is really really integral in terms of trying to um, mitigate this gap. Mm, okay I guess taking the discussion from a slightly different angle now. I just wanted to say that with organizations the thing is that they promise a lot of stuff mm. and they try to get all these people to donate money but they don't actually use it effectively and like you said they mm. will the work that you can see that it's not effective. Mm. Okay so thank you for that. Um, in terms of um, the next question I want to ask you guys um, is kind of looking at disparities in healthcare mm. in terms of gender differences um so impacts of covid19 have been discussed massively we know that there were so many different impacts economically health-wise as well um but no one i feel like i didn't really see it being discussed in terms of the effects that it has had on women's health um so this is from uh an article um from the world economic forum about why we need to prioritize women and girls so during the height of the pandemic funds were directed away from women's and girls health towards other life-saving services there was also a lack of awareness and prioritization this has led to major funding gaps in women's health care in addition an underfunding of women's health research means that specific challenges or diseases that affect women and girls remain unaddressed and according to a report released recently by the UN, nearly 50% of global pregnancies are unintended, 60% of unintended pregnancies then end in abortion, and 45% of all abortions are unsafe, leading to around 5 to 13% of maternal deaths. Um, I mean, this is this is just from one article reporting mm. on all of these different issues. Um, why do we think that women's health is kind of glossed over in many aspects? And I guess what are your guys' experience with women's health as well? Mm. Um, I think there's kind of a taboo on is yeah. it is it pronounced that taboo mm-hmm. on uh, women's health. So when you go when I went to India for example, you go there and you my I don't know like my my cousin she got sick and she was just nobody really looked over her. No, there was no oh let's go to the doctor, which is something that we only honestly take for granted here that we're sick and we just oh just we'll take you to the GP, but it's not normal there. Mm. I do I from my experience as well. I feel like there is such a lack of research on women diseases mm-hmm. and because of that it's so difficult to access healthcare and especially from my experience as well um, and beyond that as well I think uh, she mentioned about the education I think even when you come from communities that 
have some sort of conservative outlook in terms of women speaking about certain conditions, it's quite difficult to speak up about it and mm. therefore to access those healthcare. Um, especially in terms of menstruation, I think a lot of yeah. communities don't like to talk about it. And mm. so if someone is experiencing severe symptoms, we're just told that it's normal, but when really in reality it's not, and it could lead to the consequence of something that's really um dangerous for a person and I think that it's really important to have those these kind of conversations and platforms like this to address it because a lot of the times women don't know that they're having these issues and so mm-hmm. therefore how if they don't know how they're going to even put themselves forward to the GP um, so I think those two 100%. kind of elements are really important yeah, yeah like but with menstruation oh, sorry with menstruation is just such a thing that is so hidden like it's something that's not normal and i remember you they give it to you like you buy it and it's like rolled in a newspaper which is like and you have to keep it in your bag and that's how you take it mm. so there yeah. there should be like a bit more you know like normalized about the topic yeah. yeah yeah i think there's like two main points i want to add so firstly like about the whole taboo aspect of it um i feel like menstruation and like maternal health and everything is something which people don't want to talk about like it's sort of embarrassing almost Mm. and especially from like the community that we're from as well where people like it's just like on the sly like everybody gets really shy when they talk about it and everything um alhamdulillah like i went to a girls school so the conversations were a bit more open but even when it came to things like showing how pads work how tampons work they'd always like use like blue colored water instead so like it's not too embarrassing and everything and it's like why do we need to do that why can't like me talking about my broken leg as open like why can that not be as why can me speaking about like menstrual health and everything not be as open as that sort of thing um and the second thing that I want to talk about was like I remember reading um an article and it was saying how um 70% of those affected by chronic pain conditions are women, whereas 80% of pain research is conducted on males. And it's crazy because a lot of the sort of research that goes into medicine and stuff is focused on, like, your white man sort of thing. But there's so many more people, even, like, textbooks and stuff. Like, when we study anatomy, it's so hard to sort of find, like, a female body. And it's almost revolutionary when you find, like, a female anatomy model um so i think it's just crazy how sort of um narrow medical research and stuff is Mm. and luckily now we're sort of like opening it up and everything a bit more but i feel like those sort of discrepancies have like risen because of the lack of research into women and the people that that are actually being affected yeah it's a a huge issue actually and it's not just Um, it's like all across medical research but also conditions as well a lot of the symptoms Mm. that they will describe are symptoms from males for example heart attacks can present so differently in women than they do in males but we get taught a very specific kind of set of symptoms for a heart attack Um, so it's quite dangerous actually and what Mariam you said is completely true if we can't talk about it and if we don't know then how do we know when to then go seek help Um, and then it's amplified in countries where perhaps education isn't as open in the first place anyway um so yeah it's a it's a big issue and it's a shame um but yeah what are so we've talked about you know education how important it is i guess this is along the lines of my next question um what are some 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 sustainable methods to bridge the gaps in healthcare access but also bring about importance to women's health so this can be locally in our local community it can be nationally or internationally um so yeah what do you guys think Um, So I can speak a little bit about what Ma does um, and how we're sort of working towards making the work more sustainable. Mm. Um, So our vision is to sort of have this one Ma model where we have different sort of women's groups um, that represent 
sort of different women in different areas mm-hmm. and we call these sort of like spokes where they get their antenatal checks they get like the education and that's based off the understanding that once you educate one woman she's going to then spread that education to other women in her community and her daughters and her daughters are going to then pass it on and continuously do that because if we just give them the medication Mm. it's supported that one pregnancy but that's it it's Mm. not sort of like going on for life um and essentially that way um when we sort of like um once we sort of like implement this hopefully like if there's any red flag symptoms or anything we can then sort of refer them to like tertiary centers so this is what we're sort of trying to build um one of the other sort of models um is an app um so it's the gravida app because one thing that was sort of identified was there's no central data there's no sort of database for these women so like in the uk where if you have certain um, risk factors um you're looked at a bit more during your pregnancies and everything but in bangladesh they don't sort of have that so the gravida app is literally just a database for all of the women that come to the healthcare and um, that come to like the health camps and everything asking them questions like um what pregnancy is this is this the first pregnancy how many pregnancies have they had before any complications before um and then categorizing these women as like um red amber or green mm-hmm. and then looking at these r- women in the red category and thinking how can we then make their pregnancies a bit easier and stuff mm-hmm. so i feel like that's um a few steps that my taken through making it sustainable um and not just sort of looking at the women but also the girls as well So we have like a project called the Period Poverty Project mm. um and what we're trying to do now um as part of the outreach team is link UK schools to schools um in Bangladesh in Pakistan mm. and in other areas. Okay. Um so those schools in the UK they can sort of like raise money for like the pads and the um sort of like um sanitary products for the girls back there. But I feel like one thing is with period products especially for like the disposable ones is that you just give it to them once and that's yeah. it like you can't keep providing them mm. pads so instead we give them reusable pads so they can last up to about 2 years so it comes in like a pack of 3 and like 2 for the night time as well um and that ways when we provide those pads we also give them like education um because they're taught like wrong things almost so things like oh don't eat this when you're on your period don't eat that when you're on your period and as a result it just makes the girls weak and they mm. don't and again because it's a taboo they don't know like how to deal with their period so as a result they don't go to school because of they're course. in so much pain and um they're scared that they might leak and then because of all of those missed days in schools they don't sort of have the right education to carry on in the next step of their career and then you're just sort of stuck in this vicious cycle again um But yeah, so that's like a little glimpse into like what Ma, what Ma does for like the different aspects. Mm. And I think it's organizations like Ma that really help to kind of bridge those gaps. I guess that's kind of the main point of our show today is to discuss how we can bridge those gaps. And it's relying on the work that people like people at Ma do every single year um to kind of help boost that sustainable development. <laughs> I feel like those are the types of initiatives for example the reusable period pads I don't know why I'm losing my voice <laughs> <laughs> the reusable period pads um that you know is going to go a long way and the education as well I mean we've talked about the importance of that I mean what do you think Mariam about this Yeah I think it's really important to have a long term kind of vision and to ensure that it's sustainable especially in terms of the education I think that's a really important point because if you are missing school then it's going to impact your attainment and if your attainment is impacted then your career progression is going to be mm. impacted so having that 
sense of education and even just instilling this attitude that you can speak about your menstruation and the impact of it and how you can deal with it is really important. So it's really good that Mai's kind of implementing this and I urge everyone to support Mai in terms of trying to create the sustainable model. I mean, very quickly, um, what are a few ways that people can kind of check you guys out? Maybe some socials? Yeah, so um, we operate the most on our Instagram, so Mm -hmm. at marglobal underscore. Mm -hmm. um, And there we post like the different events that we have, the different projects that are going on. um, And that's where like most of the information is. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, And I know uh, Ma do a project every single year called Journey Ma. Um, so do you want to speak a little bit about Journey Ma and kind of what your experiences were, if you have any particular memorable ones that you want to share? Yeah, sure. Um, so Journey Ma, when I describe Journey Ma, I say it's a sort of opportunity of a lifetime. Um, you go there and you come back as a changed person because of everything that you saw. Um, so for those that aren't sort of aware of what Journey Ma is, um, Ma take a group of like about 20 people from the UK to Bangladesh and sort of show them the work that Ma is doing on the ground Um, and the aim of this is to not sort of volunteer and to not sort of like help out in the camps as such because the Bangladesh team sort of have that under control but it's to sort of collect stories of these mothers and then share it when you come back Um, and I think Journey Ma had definitely sort of like it did that for me um one story that i'd say hit me the most was when we went to visit the hospitals so in bangladesh they've got different types of hospitals so they've got the government hospitals which is for like the poorer people Mm. and then then they've got um they've got um the sort of like more middle ground hospitals and stuff the private hospitals and then then they've got like the hospitals for like the big big people so we went to see a government hospital um first and when we went to the government hospital, um, just before we went, there was like a huge sort of, um, there was like a thing that happened, like an incident. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it led to a medical student being killed because of an accident that one of the other doctors had made. Um, so already the security and stuff was like quite tight. We went there um, and as soon as you sort of go in, you see like I saw a woman that was just crying out in pain and nobody was sort of batting an eyelid she was crying and crying and crying her husband was using like those fans to like cool her down because there's no ac or anything and we just sort of carried on walking and then um we went to the labor observation ward and usually in the uk you sort of like separate the woman on different based on the different parts of pregnancies that they're at Mm. but this labor observation ward had women that were just about to give birth woman that had given birth woman that was still in labor and stuff and when you walk in you sort of see beds in the room and it's like two women per bed and then there's like other women that are sort of like fighting for floor space and it's so crowded in there and I was literally shocked because comparing it to like the hospitals in the UK where women are sort of like they're they're complaining that they don't have like a comfortable pillow or they want like another blanket and stuff but these women are happy with just getting like a tile on the floor to sort of like um sit in so i was speaking to one woman in particular and her daughter had just given birth um and her daughter was sort of just like sleeping and stuff while the grandmother was looking after the baby and we were asking her like oh how come she's so tired and stuff and she was saying how in bangladesh one thing that is taught is during your pregnancy to not eat a little bit um sorry to eat a little bit Mm. because if you eat less the baby comes out a lot easier um 
So this woman wasn't eating much during her pregnancy and as a result she was so weak mm. that she couldn't even produce any breast milk for her baby. So because she couldn't do that she had to buy formula milk and formula milk in the UK is already expensive. Mm. So imagine for Bangladesh. So when she gave the milk to the child she gave like such a little bit of powder and gave so much water so it was literally just almost like tinted water. Mm. So the baby was just vomiting it all out. Mm. And it's crazy because the grandmother doesn't know what to do. She can't afford anything. The mother is sort of still recovering from such a horrendous sort of childbirth and being so weak that she can't even recover. And the thing is it's it's almost the norm. And what I find so crazy is when you tell someone in the UK that you're pregnant, everyone's so happy for you and they're like, "Oh my god, like your family's going to grow and everything." But in Bangladesh, for these women, especially in the hospital, it sort of seemed like a burden. and they were like oh no like now another child that i'm going to figure out how to sort of support and it's crazy just seeing the difference so that was like one of the main stories and like a shorter smaller story is like in the camps so i'm from moli bazar and everyone sort of like jokes about how people from moli bazar like really posh and everything so when we went to one of the camps there i was expecting like a different story almost um but it was sort of the same thing there and there was one um dad who was holding his child and you can tell that his child sort of had a birth defect just by sort of like looking at him and we spoke to this dad and he was saying how when his wife was giving birth in the government hospital um the doctors had to attend to something else as well because mm-hmm. they were so like sort of overcrowded and as a result the baby was lacking oxygen and then when it was born because of that deprived oxygen it had so many other sort of issues with it and now the dad wants to prevent this for next time so he's sort of saving his life savings for his wife to go into a better hospital and to go into a private hospital the private hospitals aren't even like nhs level they're mm-hmm. still like there's still like a lack of sanitation and lack of hygiene and everything and the crazy thing is like um it's almost like 10 to 12 pound to sort of sustain a pregnancy but that's his life savings and it really puts into context like we probably like 10 to 12 pound in a day is like amazing for us like we saved a lot but for him like that's how much he's been saving and how much he's been working towards almost and when we asked him like also um do you want a son do you want a daughter and he was like i just want a healthy child mm. and it's just so crazy that they have such low sort of wants but even then it's so hard to grant this for them and that's when i realized why the work that we're doing for ma is so important because we're helping so many mothers there and the same way where we love our own mothers so much and we do anything to sort of support our mothers and like all the sacrifices that they've made for us by supporting ma you're also supporting other people's mothers who are the most closest person to them so i feel like that was like those two stories were like the key drivers to me sort of being in ma and carrying on with the work that I do and like putting in so much effort to make ma so big and like a household name almost. Mm. It's so it's actually incredible work when you think about it. And she's talked about the different aspects, the fact that you're helping other people's mothers, but also these people really don't have a lot and the effects of a pregnancy for them are in so many different ways. Financially, the burden on their household, the burden on the relationships they have in between their families um and then having to deal with these pregnancies and these babies that you know may end up having health issues because of the lack of care that has happened um and then having to deal with that in the UK it's difficult 
as well there's there's um, a lot of support available however whereas in Bangladesh they don't have n- anywhere near as much that support and it just goes to show that the work you guys do out there is is so amazing um and every single you know kind of effort towards that cause goes such a long way to help all these mothers and i'm glad that you were able to come on our show today and kind of share that um and just kind of remind everyone about the importance of this particular type of cause um because i feel like actually my such a my is going for such incredible change and yet you know so many people are not as aware about it um so yeah if you are listening to the show for the first time please do go out and check check Mar at Mar global on instagram to um have a look at the amazing work that they they're doing any thoughts from you guys on on any of that i just just hearing about it it's so it hurts so much i can't even yeah. think how they watch it in person and see those mothers i could never do it i don't have the heart for it mm. And we pray for all the mothers out there. Yeah. Um, and we support Ma on uh, all of the amazing work that they do. Um, inshallah, I'll be going in the summer as well and hopefully yeah. having that experience myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I hope that, you know, it'll be a good experience for me to come back and kind of reflect on some of the things that I've seen. Mm. Um, and it can change the way that I actually um, kind of have an outlook on towards practice. Um, and then hopefully in the future, maybe one day I'll be able to go over to Bangladesh and practice there as well. I feel sure. like, yeah. I feel like you know they they are the people that need help the most. Yeah. And every single person that we can help, you know, it makes such a huge difference. E- even the tiniest bit of help makes such a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank you very much, Badria, for joining us on thank today's show. Thank you for show. having me. <laughs> we really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, thank you all very much for listening, and inshallah we'll see you next week for another great show. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.